sure you're saved. Be sure you're saved. And that's a pretty bold series to talk about in church. Uh, But I believe it's what God is wanting to communicate to us as a church family and those that will come uh, for the first time today or maybe the next service at 1045 or the few weeks to follow as we unpack some of the, the core, core teachings and some of the profound truths and theological things that God wants us to learn as his people. And uh, I'm excited this morning to bring part one uh, of this series. And the title of this morning's message is The Reality of Heaven and Hell. So if you're taking notes, you can, you can write that down. If not, the, uh, all the verses and uh, the scriptures will be on the overhead behind me. And it's going to be pretty deep. So we're going to go through a lot of scriptures. I love the Bible, so I'm going to get a couple moments in this message to kind of share some words with you um, in the Greek and Hebrew. So just go with me uh, with it because it's going to make sense. It's all going to tie in. And I'm believing by the end of this message, uh, the Lord is going to give you a deeper sense of confidence and a deeper understanding in revelation of what's to come for you. Amen. Let's get our Bibles if you have it with you. And let's declare our Bible declaration. Ready? Go. This is my Bible. It is God speaking to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I open my heart today to hear God speak a word that will change my life forever. We're going to be in all different places. And I'm going to do some of the scriptures, if I can ask your permission this morning, out of the New Living Translation out of the New Living Translation. But if you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. That's after 1 Corinthians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. I don't believe everyone knows where all the books of the Bible are. By the way, if everyone in this church knows where all the books of the Bible are, we're not doing a great job. So we're going to be filling this house with people that are coming to understand who God is. And where is that? Where is Corinthians? Who is Micah? What is Hebrews? Second Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to look at as our theme, verse 16 through 18. But before uh, we read our scripture, uh, the other day I was, I was doing my devotions. And uh, if you didn't see it, I'm sure you probably have, um, There's this new thing. My sister-in-law is a social worker, and there is this new thing that's developing in our culture. It's called empathy fatigue, empathy fatigue. And she was explaining to Anna and I that there is a new wave of people being fatigued with what is going on in the world, meaning now with the introduction of Facebook and Instagram And all these uh, medium platforms, and I believe this is very true. She didn't say all this, but I've heard other preachers as well, that there is a unnecessary, and if I could use a a bigger or broader word, an an avalanche of information um, that is hitting the human soul that is not healthy for us. Uh, There is so much information of bad news And every once in a while, good news that people are literally getting checked into medical places and seeking counsel because of empathy fatigue, where they just can't seem to handle all of the hardship. 
and the struggle that not only are they facing, but our world is facing. And so I opened up my Bible um, Friday morning to get into my devotions, which is like my precious time, especially when you're away from your children and kind of noise and distraction. And I looked over my shoulder. I wasn't at my home. I looked over my shoulder, and on the TV behind me, I caught out of the corner of my eye the shootings in Santa Fe, Texas. And I thought, gosh darn it. (laughs) Not that it was ruining my quiet time, but just to see that again. And uh, just the tragedy that we are facing as a country and as a world. This ain't a dark down message. Please please don't misunderstand. We're going to be going somewhere beautiful and glorious and grand. But there's a reality that we're living in that is complex. And I felt like God whispered something to me that didn't seem like him, but I knew it was him. And And I wrote it down. And I felt like God was showing me that there was to be a gratitude in our lives. Now, hear me carefully. That this life is not it. That there should be somewhat of a gratitude in our hearts that this world that we live in is not ours forever. And though we live in a blessed area, (laughs) and though I have a blessed family, and God has blessed us and honored us and will honor us and bless us, as Pastor Dave said, there is a reality to the brokenness in this world that we live in. The pain, the sorrow, uh, just the pure evil, the lack of regard for life as we're seeing in our own nation, which is very rare, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm 40 plus. I know I look 28, uh, <laughs> but I'm beyond 40. And I could say even for myself um, as a youngster, to hear of a shooting or something like that, that was like big news. But over time, I think we've gotten desensitized or we've gotten almost familiar. And it's easy for us to almost kind of block the pain. And God wants to speak to us this morning about that dichotomy that we live in and also show with us that there are realities that we don't see that are even more real than the realities that we do see. The Apostle Paul was speaking of this in the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 4 in verse 16, and he starts off with some words that probably we need to hear as a people in a nation. He says in verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Pretty appropriate, huh? We can see what's going around us in our world, and though we live with the presence of God and we worship him, there is still that rub, I call it, where we're living sanctified and saved, but we're in a world that is decaying and is falling apart. And Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. You know, of course, that's that's literal and that's also figurative. The the man in the Bible, the Greek words there is for us personally and for mankind collectively. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, hey, we as believers are not to lose heart. Though we're perishing physically, my body, man, oh, once you hit 40, man, things begin to change, man. I'm telling you, I don't know, I don't know what happened, but ooh, get little aches and pains. Though our outward man is perishing yet inwardly. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that good news? Isn't that precious? The man is being renewed day by day. So though outwardly things can be falling apart, even physically or things around us, the Bible says yet inwardly. We're being renewed. So outward is falling apart. Excuse me. Inward is being renewed or changed. Isn't that beautiful? 
for our light affliction. I thought that was funny that Paul probably was intentional with those words. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, or the right word there is in glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. And this is, this is the point here that he's making. For the things which are seen are temporary. I wrote in my notes, soon to be gone. For the things that are seen are temporary, soon to be gone. But the things which are not seen are eternal. They last forever. Paul says, for the things which are seen, the chairs we're sitting in, the bodies that house us, this building, the governments, cars, everything that we see, those are temporary. Those are soon to be gone. But the things that are unseen, the spirit, as we're going to look at heaven, hell, God, powers, principalities, those things are going to last forever. And this morning, the Lord wants to speak to us about the reality of the unseen world and how being sure you're saved, the hope of that is the reality of the unseen world that God has something amazing for us. Everything material is going to fade away. The things that last are the things, as I said, we can't see. You were made to last forever. Though your body will expire, you will not expire. (laughs) Though your body will have an end date, that is not the end of you. And forgive me if this seems a little elementary, like, yeah, I, I know that. But let's just go with this and remind ourselves and encourage ourselves. The average lifespan for, the, uh, w- uh, for a woman in the United States is pretty good now. It's gone up to 78.6 years. 78.6 years. So if you live to your 79 years old, you're ahead of the curve here in the United States as a woman. For men... It's actually jumped up. For a man, the average lifespan has gone up to 79.6 years of age. So if you make it to 80, you're ahead of the curve. So 80 is kind of now the new benchmark, which is amazing. Uh, and in you know, times past, it was in the low 60s. Um, in the 18 and 1900s, I'm a history buff. Um, age was to hit 35. You were like a gramps. So I, will, I would probably be almost on my way out by the age of 40 plus in the 1800s. But in the sphere or in the context of eternity, 80 or 100 years is a dot. 80 to 100 years is a dot. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, what is your life but a vapor? It is here today and poof, gone tomorrow. So though you could live between 180 years at best, we're going to spend much more time, the Bible says, on the other side of your physical life. That life really is a preparation for eternity. That this life is really the opening act, the dress rehearsal, the scrimmage, the warm-up, the baseball practice for your real life. And I believe God wants to remind us of that this morning, and even his tender presence this morning. Wasn't it refreshing? I just felt like, there you are, God. Okay. I sense you. I believe you're real that God wants to speak to us this morning. And though life gives you many choices, um, eternity gives you two choices. And we're going to look at those this morning. And hopefully, again, this will warm you. Maybe some of you have never really thought about this or 
or have heard anyone speak on this, but we're going we're gonna to get into it. So I'm going to answer three questions this morning. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write it down. It'll be good. <laughs> we're going to answer three questions. What is heaven? Where is heaven? And what is heaven like? What is heaven? Where is heaven? And what is heaven like? And then we're going to answer what is hell? Where is hell? And what is hell like? I want to start with the reality of heaven. What is heaven? Heaven, the Bible says, this is going to be fun. Oh, I love this stuff. Heaven is where God lives. I tried to make this really simple but clear. Heaven is where God lives and rules. Heaven is where God lives and rules. Now, there's two words for the words heaven. The first one is where we get from the Hebrew, which the Bible is written, and Greek. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament in Greek is where first word we get for heaven is the word in the English translation, firmament, firmament. So heavens means in one translation, the sky or the atmosphere. Does that make sense? Heaven also means the unseen or the dwelling place of God. And so heaven is where God lives and rules. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 2 I think we have most of these scriptures. I'm going to read a portion of it. It says, Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth. Okay, I told you, a little fundamental, but let's, let's just kind of go through this. God is in heaven and you are here on earth. The Bible gives us clear instruction and direction that God lives in a place called heaven, and we live on a place called earth. That God doesn't live on the earth. He lives in a place called heaven. In the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 10, it speaks of the rule of God. So heaven is where God lives. Heaven is also where God rules. Remember this part of the Lord's Prayer? Probably a big one, huh? Your kingdom come, right? Your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. Yeah, simple, but powerful. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So heaven is where God lives and God rules. Right now, God is in heaven ruling and reigning. And the Bible says that we are as believers to pray that the ruling of God would transfer from heaven to earth. Now, part of the rule of God is on earth, but not all of it. And so we as believers, believe it or not, I mean, that touched me this week, uh, yesterday, as I was studying, thinking, wow, that's, that's a good reminder, God, that we are to pray as people, oh, Lord, you know, I bless my day and, you know, provide for my family. Yes. But Jesus says first, we're to pray, our Father who art in hallowed, or holy would be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. So heaven, the Bible doesn't tell us all has a rulership of God where the Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 23, that God sends forth his angels in heaven to do his word. And in the book of Revelation, it gives us marvelous glimpses of what is happening right now in heaven. Right now in heaven, there are the 24 elders 
that surround the throne of God where Jesus is. Literally, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard that before. You feel like, so what? What does that have to do with my Monday? Well, the truth is that's very important because in Bible times, the right hand was a place of honor and power. And though Jesus died and rose again to life, most people don't realize that he is still contained in a physical body. He still has or a glorified body, which we're going we're gonna to touch on very lightly this morning. And he is at God's right hand. What is he doing at God's right hand? The Bible says that he is interceding on behalf of you and me. Isn't that special? That's amazing. This is good stuff. I'm telling you, we're going to get into the Bible this morning. And also, he is speaking the blessing of God over us. The Bible also says in a small context in Hebrews that he's actually receiving our, our giving, believe it or not, that we give directly to the Lord Jesus when we tithe in Hebrews chapter 7. So what is heaven? Heaven is where God lives and God rules. Heaven, uh, the next thing is under what is heaven is that heaven is a real place. I tried to think this through, and I thought this would be appropriate to share because I believe some people have been taught, or maybe you even think, that heaven is in your mind or that heaven is just a... Um, Gosh, what's another word? It's like an imaginary place, or heaven is something that um, you experience, or like it's a nirvana state. It is not. The Bible uses a very specific word to let us know that heaven is a real place. Listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. I love this verse. Do we have this? Oh, thank you, Dom. Since you have been raised to new life in Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven. See those words? Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Isn't that cool? That's actually in the Bible, by the way. For those of us that have been raised to new life in Christ, we are to set our sights on the realities of heaven. Now, there's Paul saying that part of our job, part of what a new person does, believe it or not, is to think about, or to set our sights on the reality of heaven, that heaven isn't a state of mind. Heaven isn't an ethereal place. Heaven is a real place, and we're to think about heaven. We're to spend time thinking about the glory of God. I mean, that's what we did this morning when Lance led us in worship. It's almost like God kind of pulls back heaven. Didn't it feel like that? And you get a glimpse. And oftentimes, you know, as Christians, we're to think about that. The Bible says we're even to think upon Jesus, the person. Have you ever been distracted in church? Can I give you a little pointer for me? Not that I'm a know-and-all, but as one of your pastors, if you want to focus in during church, focus in on Jesus, on the person. Get, get, his, get his face in your mind. I know when I focus in on Jesus, man, I get ushered right into the presence of God. Since you've been raised to new life in Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. I mentioned that. Listen to this one. Not only is heaven a real place, heaven was designed for you and for me. This is where it gets special for me, that heaven was actually designed for you and for me. Now think of how precious this earth is. The Bible says that the earth was formed for you and me, that God created all this. And in Genesis chapter 2, he placed Adam in the center of the garden to till it and to work the land that God would come down and 
in physical form, probably in the form of Jesus, and would fellowship and walk with Adam and Eve. And guess what time? At sunset. That's why sunsets are so romantic. Anyway, if you have a loved one, there's something about the sun going down. Why is that? That's God-ordained. No, I mean it, seriously. There's something about the cool of the day, the sunset hour. That's when Jesus would come, or God, however that was, and would walk with Adam and Eve and just fellowship with them. And I was thinking yesterday about how great this earth is and how beautiful it is. I've spent most of my life on the island of Oahu, on the east side of the island in a city called Kailua and Kahalu. Those are hard words to say. And man, I lived right on the ocean. I was spoiled. I would surf. I would dive for lobster. Like literally from here to Julie was like the ocean. I I brought my wife there and she just kind of, she doesn't like the ocean or beach, so... Give her a hard time afterwards. She was just, she was so unimpressed. I was so offended. No, she, no, she loved it. But I think sometimes, and I like to watch nature stuff, and there are some majestical things that God has created. But think how majestic and amazing heaven's going to be. For thousands of years, God has been preparing a place for you and for me. Listen to what it says in John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. These should be familiar. In my Father's house are many mansions. That means there's a lot of room. If it were not so, this is Jesus talking, I would have told you. If it were not so, Jesus said, I wouldn't have told you this. I go to prepare, see that word? A place for you. Isn't that cool? A prepared place. That's a real place. Heaven is real. Heaven is not in your mind. Heaven is not a state of thinking. Heaven is an actual, tangible, physical place. The book of Revelation tells us that there's streets of gold in heaven, that there are trees in heaven, that there's a river in heaven, that I believe there's hints of it that there's animals in heaven, and of course there's people in heaven. And it says that the glory of God is so majestic in heaven that there's no more need for a son. Because God's glory shines and lights the place where he inhabits. Isn't that beautiful? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Man, Jesus started this whole chapter by saying, do not let your heart be troubled. And he shared that, that he goes to prepare a place and The Lord wants to speak to us this morning, just confirm to us this morning his great love for us and the reality that though we live in a great world and there's amazing things happening in this church, it's okay to give your permission to say, Lord, I can't wait to be home with you. That's really why God did all of this in the first place. God wanted a family, not because God's lonely or bored or insufficient in himself, but the Bible says that God wanted people for his own praise to his own glory. That's why you and I were created, to have fellowship with God, to have a relationship with him. And this can sound so elementary, but I'm telling you, as a 40-year-old father of five, this is profound. As a man, I still struggle. feel like, God, you want to have a relationship with me? Like, who am I? What have I done for you? And God says, Joel, I love you. And I didn't just send Jesus to die for you. I sent Jesus so that I can have relation. I want you in my family. Joel, I'm preparing a place for you that where I am, you may be also. 
the church or ecclesia is the Greek New Testament word, is the word for the called out ones. And those are the people that are in the family of God, the church. The church of the living God is God's family. You are part of God's family. And the Bible says that when you receive him, you receive the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters of God, where we cry out, Abba, Father, Papa, or Daddy. It says this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Isn't that beautiful? And I've said that word a lot, but I love the Bible like people love cooking. You ever watch cooking shows? People that, they're like, isn't that beautiful? I'm like, yeah, it's food, so what? But they're passionate. I'm passionate about God's word because it's true this morning. The church is the only thing that's going to last, and there's more to come. God has put something in our hearts this morning. As satisfying and as blessed as my life is, there are moments when I personally just long to be with the Lord. Man, the Apostle Paul said, he said, man, I long to be with God. To be present with the Lord is better than to be here. But he said, I must remain that I might fulfill the fruitful labor that God has called me to. I'll give you a lot of scripture to show you that there is more to come. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 14 says, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Is that precious? For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. We good? I can keep going? You guys still awake? Number two, where is heaven? This is really cool. You guys ready to get your mind blown a little? Can I get a little deep and like use my brain? I know I'm good looking, but I, I studied a lot too. I'm sure you never heard this, and I'm not here to prove that Joel said this is how it is, but go with me. Listen to this. this is, to me, this is fascinating, but also important. In Hebrews 11.3, it says this, By faith we understand that the entire universe, mark that word, was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. I'm going to take you on a little journey here and show you how I got there. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. The universe is where we live in. We live in a solar system with the uh, uh, planets that revolves around the sun, and we live in the Milky Way, if anyone knows that or took some science. Uh, but there are galaxies uh, that are so large that we can't find the end of it. But we also live in a sphere called the universe. Now, go with me on this. The universe is so big to us, but it's actually very small to God. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. And what makes the universe unique, you've probably never thought of it this way, is that the universe is locked into a system called time. That even outside of the planet Earth, the universe is in a sphere called time, that inside the walls, let's say the universe, for example, was my Bible. And if the universe was my Bible and the earth was on this part of my Bible, the whole universe is encapsulated in a place called time, where there's a dimension of time. 
And I believe that God lives outside of our universe. Ooh, don't quote me on this. It's really not that important. But I think that the Bible gives evidence, but this is powerful, that God actually lives outside of our universe. Because if the universe was that Bible, then God could speak into it. In other words, you don't speak into something that you live in. You speak something into existence, the Bible says, that was not. And that though the universe is captured in time, the Bible says that God lives in eternity. But where is eternity? I believe that it's outside of our universe. Now, all that to say is that that's how maybe possibly far away heaven is. I've heard a lot of preachers and people say, oh, heaven's not far away. Heaven is right before you. That's baloney. That makes no sense. I understand what they mean by that. They mean the comfort of God. But we're talking about heaven itself I believe, is outside of this universe because it's outside of time. Anyone following what I'm saying? That's, that's, that's exciting. That's, that's interesting to me. And this ain't to be a lecture or a study hall this morning, but we want to paint a picture as we go through this series about being sure you're saved, about heaven, that we get a clearer glimpse. And we're not going to go through every detail about it, but I wanted to share some things that I thought would just give us more of a revelation and an appreciation of what God is preparing for us. So heaven is outside of the universe, I believe, because it says that God spoke the universe into existence, and that God came in the form of Jesus into time and into space, which is another word for universe. So it could possibly be that heaven is outside of this universe. Because God is so big, the Bible says all through the book of Psalms, that God holds all of the world in where? In the palm of his hand. And that would seem maybe far away to us, that maybe this world we live in and the universe is vast and is glorious and as expansive and unsearchable as it seems. God says, that's in the palm of my hand. I mean, that's, that'll change you. That shows you how big and how wonderful our God is and how precious it was that Jesus left eternity, maybe outside of the physical universe as we know it scientifically, and came in the form of a man, in the fullness of time. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, God sent forth his son, Jesus. That's precious. That's powerful. What is heaven like? We're almost done here. I had wrote down that some experiences in life can only be experienced. I don't know exactly what heaven is like, but I know it is precious, and I know it is glorious. That same author, Paul, he went to heaven, said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. That is what the scripture means when they say, no eye has seen nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And it's so big, it's so glorious. Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor has a mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I told you in the book of Revelation, if you want to look at it later, specifically in chapters 20 and 21, it tells us, as I mentioned, that there is so much glory in heaven that there's no sun that there is extravagant worship, the Bible says. I'm just hitting a couple points. That there's worship of God's people to God and to the Lamb, which is Jesus. There is also the worship of angels 
to God and to Jesus. There's also the worship of living creatures. There are living beings, not necessarily animals, but the Bible gives us some detail, as odd and kind of strange as that sounds, that there's actual living creatures that worship and honor God. And there are other majestic things. There is ruling and reigning that will be taking place in heaven. But here's the main thing that's going to be in heaven is the dissipation of all sin and pain. I love what it says here. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. For all these things are gone forever. And that's going to be a precious, precious place. I know for all the tough guys here, it sounds like, yeah, yeah I don't know about heaven. But man, think of a world. Think of a, think of a, a place where there's no more death, where there's no more sorrow, where there's no more crying or pain. For all those things, the Bible says, will be put away forever and ever. (laughs) And there will be God himself, Jesus, the Son of God, people, the family of God. Do you know why we like to eat and go to movies and gather and have bar mitzvahs and parties? Our neighbors were rocking and rolling last night. I mean, late. Because we're made in the image of God. And God says, one day, not only are we going to be together, there's actually going to be a feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we're going to gather together with God in Revelation chapter 19, where there'll be food, there'll be steak for those that love meat. Hoorah! And there'll be choice wine. This isn't silly stuff this morning, guys. This is in your Bible. And there's going to be a celebration. For all those who love God, I mean, a party of parties, a reconciliation of a reconciliation. God wants to make sure that every single one of us here this morning are going to be there, that we're going to celebrate with God. We're going to live for God. We're going to be rewarded by God himself. These chairs that some of you put out this morning and the signs that me and Pastor Dave were jimmy rigging and setting up, that all counts. The Bible says that God will reward the good deeds of his people and that angels literally, the Bible says, I'll show it to you afterwards because I can't give you a million scriptures, actually take notes on your life. There are angel beings. There are invisible beings that are real, that are monitoring your life, writing down the good deeds that you do in the name of Jesus. Jesus said to this degree, he said, even if you give a cup of water that's cold to a small child, I will record and reward that. And heaven is going to be a place where there's going to be celebration and feasting and worship and the reuniting of loved ones that we've lost or people that we don't know that we've read about and heard about or gave their lives on behalf of Christ. This is a precious, precious thing, and it's real. It's more real than the blue folding chair you're sitting in this morning. Don't let anybody fool you. Heaven is not in your mind. Heaven is not a made-up story to make people feel good at memorial services. Heaven is a real place, and God is preparing it for you and for me. And one day we're going to be there. One day you're going to face the Lord. You're going to be in his presence. And it's going to be so good. There's going to be no more sun. It's going to be like bright all the time. That's it because I don't like nighttime. I'm a day guy. 
So you're going to be, those of you that like to sleep, it's going to be rough, I think. Get those shades, right? Get those shades on your window. Briefly, I want to touch on the reality of hell, and I'm going to close. Because as much as Jesus taught about heaven, he actually taught more about hell. Jesus talked more about hell than any other topic in the Bible. Second was money. Third, believe it or not, was heaven. But hell is real as well. You know, I often hear people joking, and I probably said that once before, that people think that, that hell is going to be like one big party. Have you ever heard that? People that are kind of tough on the outside. And I get it. I've said that before. Well, you know, at least we're going down. I'll get my, you know, flame retardant suit, and it's going to be one big party. And we're going to have a party in hell. That is, that is far from the truth. The sober reality is that as heaven is real, hell is real, and it is also a prepared place. But it's not a prepared place for people. It's a prepared place for the devil and his demons who are deceiving the world, who are telling young boys Friday morning that plotted only two days it took this kid to go to your school and shoot nine kids and a teacher. It's a prepared place for the devil and his demons. It says in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, then the king will turn to the one, to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared. See that word prepared? For the devil and his demons. That hell is a prepared place for the devil and his demons, where they will be tormented in eternal fire for the deception of the world. Where is hell? This I didn't want to do too much on because it really doesn't matter because no one here is going to go there. Amen? And no one in this church is going to be going to hell. We're going to have a church where people are, are born again and saved. My wife had a dream or a vision or something a few months ago, her and Pastor Dave and myself, that we believe beyond the shadow of a doubt, and this could almost sound offensive, that specifically in Orange County, there is a justification illusion, was actually the word my wife had in prayer, which basically means there is a lot of people in Orange County that believe they're saved and they're not. They believe they're Christian by name or they believe that Jesus was real and that died. We're going to talk about that next week about how do you get saved? What does it really mean to be saved? Something that we think, oh, yeah, I understand that, but I guarantee you probably don't completely. But we're going to look into that. But there are many, many, many people living around us, even in our families, that believe they're saved and they're not. And we're taught that, oh, you can't say stuff like that because that's judgmental. Well, it's absolutely judgmental, but (laughs) it's a judgment that can be changed. You know, that's like saying, well, you always stop at a stop sign. That's so judgmental of you. Well, I guess, but anyway, I don't have time to go into that kind of stuff. But I love to, like, talk through that stuff with people to help them think logically. But anyway, hell is a real place. Most scholars believe that it's in the center of the earth. In the book of Numbers, I won't go there, in chapter 30, there's a part where uh, some of the people rebelled against Moses, and basically God says, if you don't change your mind, I'm opening up the ground right beneath you. And the people said, we ain't changing our minds. So 24,000 people and their goods went into the center of the earth where molten lava was, the Bible says. And most scholars believe that hell is in the center of the earth because that's where volcanic eruptions and lava and uh, sulfur and all those things um, are located. By the way, if you've heard the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, this is just a fun fact. 
some of the words are misinterpreted. Uh, fire didn't rain down from heaven, as you heard, right? Remember when Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot was pulled out, if you heard that story? Fire actually came up from the ground, so up from the ground. So a lot of people believe that that hell is a fiery place inside the cavities of the earth. What is hell like? Well, the Bible gives us a couple things, and we'll be done here. That hell, first of all, is a place of never-ending fire, brimstone or sulfur. It says in Mark chapter 9 and verse 43, this is Jesus, by the way. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires. See that word? Is it on the overhead there? Unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. Jesus basically said that hell is so bad that it's better to walk around with one hand and go into eternal life to repent than to have two hands and go to hell. That's profound. I mean, that's bold. And I don't say that to, you know, startle anyone, but this is God's word. And it's good that we know this stuff, especially if we're going to be salt and light and a witness to people. That doesn't mean we're going to go out and say, hey, you're going to hell, but it's good, it's good to know the realities. Remember, tonight, today's topic is the reality of heaven and hell, that the things that we can't see are much more real and will last forever than the things that we do see. This is probably the worst here, that hell is a place of pain and regret. I don't know if you've ever had pain, not physical pain, but pain from regret is really the real translation I have had pain from regret in many things in my life, opportunities I've had uh, to do good, opportunities where I did wrong. And I don't know if you've ever had that, but the pain of regret is a painful thing. And the Bible says that hell will be an eternal place of regret and the sorrow that regret brings. Listen to what it says again in Matthew chapter 13, verses 42. This is Jesus again. And the angels of God will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you see those words there? Well, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is what you say when you say, I can't believe it. I do that when my son doesn't get a hit in baseball. I get, I get freaked out. I'm one of those dads. I got, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't want to be that kind of dad, but I get crazy with it, but... But on a serious note, that's what happens, that hell is going to be a place of absolute regret. It's not going to be a party. It's not going to be everyone, yeah, woo, yeah. It's not going to be, you know, a tailgate thing. It's going to be a place of eternal flames. And this is important for us to know as a church family, as a church team and staff, because that should begin to do something to us. That should get us here in the mornings. That should get us out in the streets and to our families and neighborhoods. There's a, per, a reason why we're, we're learning this today. And finally, this is something the Lord gave me personally. This was not uh, notes that I studied. It was something that I felt God show me. Lastly, that hell is a place of fear and torment. And we always know that, but I'm like, well, where does it say that? Well, it doesn't specifically, obviously, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then God just gave me something in my heart about who he is and what hell is going to be. Listen to how I word it. I just wrote down that hell is a place of torment and, and great fear. Why? Because everything God is, hell is not. That hell is going to be a place of great fear and torment. Why? I was like, why, God? And I 
felt that impression because everything that God is, hell is not. In other words, God is love. Hell will be total and complete fear. Listen to what it says in First uh, John chapter 4, verse 18. In the New King James Version, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. See the opposites there? That God, the Bible says that God is love. The opposite of love is complete. Now, just imagine for a moment that hell is going to be a place of never-ending fire, of pain and regret, the pain of regret, and a place of complete fear. I don't know if you've ever truly been afraid before. I almost drowned a couple times in pipeline, like Hawaii. Not like, oh, that's so cool and like noble of you. No, no, no. I mean, I almost drowned a couple times, like stuck in the rocks. I'm like, whoa, this is like going to be over. And just fear and panic. I don't know if you've been in a situation or maybe you're prone to that. The Lord wants to deliver you this morning as well because there's no fear in love. See, perfect love casts out fear, not psychology. Not self-help. The love of God casts out the fear. That's a word for someone this morning. That perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. If you're tormented, maybe at night you are tormented in your dreams or you're tormented in your mind. I can have seasons where I've been, I've been tormented in my mind. Lies and things and it brings fear. God wants to release you of that today. How? Through his love. Through his love for you. God is love. Hell will be total fear. I just wrote a few down and then we'll be done. God is light. Therefore, hell will be total and complete inky blackness, as it says in the King James Version. A complete darkness. God is all about his family and people. Hell will be complete and utter loneliness. And I wrote some other things, but for the sake of time, I wanted to conclude this morning. Lance, if you would come. As we close, and we're going to stand in a minute. And the reason we're talking about this as we're just kind of laying the foundation this week is that God wants to be sure that you and I are saved. And it takes a lot of courage to preach this this morning, especially because not every seat is filled, and I know most of you here. But I'm not preaching this to you. I'm preaching this as unto the Lord. And God wants to touch us this morning and confirm in our hearts that we know him this morning that we've truly given our lives to him. Thomas, who was with Jesus three and a half years, still didn't get it. He says this in John chapter 14, and you know the way where I am going, Jesus says. No, we don't, Lord. Thomas said, we have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, you know this, most of you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then the Lord, in his grace, through all that time of just reading his word, brought me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Like I, I saw something. Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is in the Old Testament. But the Lord brought this to me out of Deuteronomy chapter 30. I feel like it says it so clear. This was God speaking to his people, the nation of Israel, which we are a type and shadow of that as believers. We're, we're the new Israel nation in a sense through Jesus, through, his, through Abraham. It says this, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. 
Oh, that you would choose life. And you see the heart of God? Oh, that you would choose life. See, God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. And just as Moses spoke to the people of Israel saying, oh man, I want you to choose life. So that you, you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God. Obeying him. And I love the wording here. That's why I use it. And committing yourself first.